everyone, and welcome to the December 31st edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. This is my neighborhood, this is my life, and this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody, how you doing out there? Uh, I want to wish everybody a happy new year because as much as I say that I'll be back in a day or so, um, and I believe I said so on my last podcast, I'll see you guys in a couple of days. I'm starting to realize now that uh, it's not so easy to do these podcasts every day, but I'm going to give it my best shot moving forward because I truly feel like this is going to, going to be a, an integral part of my own therapy and my new psychiatrist, which I will get into, uh, psychiatric nurse, that is, because I was unable to find a doctor after four months of searching for one. A psychiatric nurse finally accepted me as a new patient. She told me that I have to do something for myself. Um, and, you know, again, this, this podcast is being made to help others. And she kind of got a little agitated with me when I told her that this is really for myself. And she said, well, not really, because you're helping others. So whatever, okay? Um, I, I, I refuse to listen to her in terms of saying that this is not for me. Uh, because it is. It is for me. Uh, it's for you, and it's for me. And it's one of the reasons why I altered my intro line to... Uh, my neighborhood, my life, and our podcast journey. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time coming up with those, that little uh, catchphrase, and I'll probably change it again, considering that I've already changed my entire podcast um, experimentation or podcast. The way I was going to go about podcasts originally, as you could see from my first episode, is very different from my second episode. So, with that being said, um, I'm going to welcome you to my podcast, and this is going to be uh, Bipolar 101. And before we get into that, I think it's really important um, that I mention to my new subscribers, those people that are out there, and I, I thank you for listening and downloading this, and I am able to see the statistics and see that people are listening to me, um, and I think that's awesome. And uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and hope that one of my newer found friends is listening um and, and it's going to be somebody that you are all very familiar with and his name is bipolar bob and i wanted to start this podcast by saying to bipolar bob that uh i received your email back to me um, and i'm going to shoot you another quick email however uh, I, i'm going to keep my emails to you uh our emails i think should be brief and uh, more, more so because I know it's not the easiest thing in the world for you to do when it comes to writing. And um, I say this not because I want to blow up your spot. Uh, you have mentioned that on your podcast several times that you have trouble uh, when it comes to writing because of some of the things that you suffer from. Um, but I got to tell you, what an email that I received from you. Great, great to hear from you. And more than anything, what I've realized is that although we all suffer from bipolar disorder, um, or at least the ones that are listening, and myself and, and bipolar Bob, who happen to share uh, the exact same diagnosis, which is schizoaffective disorder, 
one of the things I realize is that just because we're bipolar doesn't mean that we excel or engage in the same manic things as each other. You know, we all have different things and different strengths. And, you know, one of the things that happens to be one of my strengths is writing. So, you know, when I want to say something, when I want to express myself, a lot of times I will reach out in writing. And that's what I did to Bipolar Bob. Um, and, and, of course, uh, when I didn't hear back from him right away, my paranoia immediately set in, and I reached out to him again, and uh, he did get back to me. And, and here's what I want to say. I want to say this. 42-year-old male I am, and, you know, while I have uh, a handful of friends that I still keep in contact with, friends are not very easy to come by. And uh, I want to try not to get emotional uh, to start this podcast. I'd rather not get emotional. I'm going to do my very best. But here's what I want to say to Bipolar Bob. Uh, rather than writing you back, sir, I want to say to you uh, that you have changed my life in more ways that you can imagine. And I am so grateful to have found you as a person, as a friend, uh, as another human being, wherever you are, it doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't matter. Uh, as long as I could hear your voice at nighttime, which is when I typically listen to your podcast, that's okay with me, man. And uh, we, you and I are gonna keep in touch, and, and I wanna say this to you, that you have found a friend for life, and that's the God's honest truth, and, um, you know, it seems a little strange to say that, because, you know, back in the day, uh, I don't know if any of you guys remember America Online, but man, one of my, um, I guess, addictions when I was very young, going back to when I was like seven, no, 19, 19, when I had first discovered um, internet and computers, you know, I was addicted to online, and I, and I had developed some relationships online, none of which have ever sustained themselves, um, you know, but now, 2017, which will be 2018 tomorrow, what I've come to realize is that whether you're online, whether you're offline, whether you're in a group session, um, whether you're with your therapist, your psychiatrist, whoever it might be, um, you know, friends are very hard to come by. And, you know, these professionals that we seek advice from or get our medication from or even the ones that we sit down on a couch and talk to sometimes, you know, they're not really our friends. They're never going to be our friends. Um, and even the friends that I have out in the world who, you know, I could reach out to and text and tell them once in a blue moon if I'm having a bad day or if I'm craving a drug or anything of that nature, they will respond to me, and they're very, they're very good friends, but, you know, they're, they're hard to come by, and they just don't get it, and I'll give you an example, one of my best friends in the world, it's very easy for him to say when I'm feeling a little down, to just uh, pull myself out of it, and, you know, what's there to be so unhappy about? Life is beautiful. You got three beautiful children, you got a wonderful wife, what, what are you, what are you so miserable about? And, you know, he just doesn't get it. Um, and, and he means well, and he'll say all the right things to somebody who might just be quote-unquote sad, but somebody who has had their chemicals basically swing from one end of the spectrum to another and has now entered that dark, depressing side of life in what we call the depressive state of bipolar disorder, um, th th those people will never understand 
really until they uh, either experience it for themselves or get educated enough on the fact that you know when we get this depressed feeling or this manic feeling it's it's not something that we could just pull ourselves out of so with that being said i'm going to finish off by saying mr bipolar bob you are my friend a a, a true friend uh, somebody who has entered into my life and has changed my life dramatically in more ways than I can ever begin to tell you. And I thank you for that. And if it's okay with you, um, you know, I, I think every once in a blue moon I am going to mention you just so you know that I'm thinking of you and, you know, we could even keep, keep in touch via podcast if that's okay. Uh, every once in a while I might make mention of each other if that's okay with you. Uh, because, you know, I know it's difficult for you to write, so, you know, you do what you want. You want to write me back, feel free to. I just don't want to put any pressure on you to feel the need to write back to me, but you and I are going to keep in touch, my friend, and I, again, thank you for everything that you've done to change my life. You're an amazing man, an amazing human being, and you have a friend forever, all right? So, with that being said, let's start uh, Bipolar 101 feel a little weird naming my podcast, but what it does for me is it allows me to uh, stay on track to some extent, because if you haven't noticed by now, there are times when I will ramble a little bit, and uh, I, I sometimes lose my train of thought, and this unfortunately is one of the many, many symptoms that I am starting to realize accompany my bipolar uh, disorder. And I, I forget things. I really do. My memory is shot, I have to tell you. Uh, but, I, you know, I think it's time now that I, I start by really introducing who I am. And I'm going to take a page out of my friend, Mr. Bipolar Bob's book, in the sense where it's very important that I keep myself anonymous um, and, and, you know, give you guys a little bit of background information on who I am but at the same time keep myself anonymous. So I, I am going to change the name of my family members, just like Bipolar Bob did, uh, just to protect my identity because I'm, you know, what it comes down to, everybody, is I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to uh, to expose it to the world, the uh, the disability that I have. It's just not, it's just not safe right now, um, you know, uh, my job is way too important, and while I'm, I'm not sure exactly how they would respond if they knew exactly what my diagnosis was, um, I think it's important that I keep myself anonymous. So, like I've said many times before on my previous two podcasts that I made, I'm a 42-year-old male. Um, if you haven't noticed by now, or recognized by now, based off my first podcast, I've been in the education field for about 26 years. I'm not going to tell you exactly what I do and the company that I work for. It's not important. Um, but I do work for a company right now, and I have uh, medical health insurance, which is wonderful. And I was actually able to utilize that medical health insurance to see a brand new psychiatrist or psychiatric nurse, excuse me, very big difference between the two. And we'll get into that later. Uh, but I met with her this past week. Um, and it's important for you to know that I also have not been medicated up until now since the year 2012. So here we are entering 2018, and I have not been medicated since the year 2012. And I have to tell you, man, it has been a roller coaster ride. Um, 
Um, one thing I will tell you without doubt that if you are suffering from what you believe to be symptoms of bipolar disorder, obviously go and speak with a psychiatrist and see exactly where you are in life and make sure that um, you guys come up with a plan together. But if you are a, are a bipolar sufferer and you're unmedicated, it's time to really see a doctor. Because I have to tell you, already a couple of days in, and I feel a huge difference. And it's just amazing. Um, the change that I already feel just by getting back on Lamictal. Uh, I feel like my life has changed dramatically in the last couple of days. Uh, I have excessive thirst, too. I have to tell you, extremely thirsty this medicine makes me. But anyway, a 42-year-old male in the education field, 26 years, and uh, I, I happen to work with just about every disability under the sun with autism being my primary area of expertise uh, I do not work with children directly any longer other than one day a week um, there was a time in my life for about 13 years where I was considered to be an independent contractor I had my own business and I would do nothing but work directly with children However, over the past six years, I have shifted gears, and I am now one of those, I guess you could say, professionals who uh, is considered an expert in the field. And I go out, and I train a variety of different professionals, from psychologists to teachers to teacher aides to principals. Um, and I train them on how to handle children and adults with autism. Um, I also do that with families as well still. But one of the, one of the wonderful things about my company is when they, they promoted me and, and told me that they would uh, allow me to take on the position that I currently have, one of the things that I had asked them to do uh, in order for me to accept this promotion was to allow me to continue to at least work with some children you know, one time a week. So uh, I do have interaction with some of the children because that really is my true love, I have to tell you. And whether that be me walking into a school district, going into a school to help a, a certain student, or going into a home to help a family, whether it be going into a residential home, whatever it may be, I do it at least once a week to keep me going. Uh, because it gets a little boring, just constantly public speaking and presenting and talking. And um, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love what I do. But I love interacting with children and making a difference and making a change. So uh, that's a little bit about me. I'm not going to give you anything more about what I do for a living right now. Uh, I don't want you to look too much into where I might work. Um, if you haven't figured out by now, um, you know, where I live, I'm... I'm not going to tell you that either. It's not. It's really not uh, necessary. But I think it's important I discuss my family very, very briefly because there are going to be times where I address them in my life throughout this podcast. And again, I'm going to take a page out of Mr. Bipolar Bob's book, as I'm, I'm going to have to uh, rename my children if that makes sense. Uh, because if I start giving my children's names. You know, it might be, make it easier for you guys to discover who I am. And again, I would love to shout out to the world what I have and who I am, but I just can't. Especially being a public speaker and, and, and enjoying being in the limelight, so to speak. Um, believe me, there is nothing more that I would love to do is tell people who I am. But uh, it's, 
I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have to continue to hide my identity. Um, so I have three children. I am remarried. This is my second wife, and she is the absolute love of my life. I had a horrible, horrible first marriage. With that being said, I also treated my ex-wife like complete trash for a very long time, namely because I had bipolar disorder. And, you know, half my life I was either unmedicated and had no idea of how I was acting. So I was always the right one and she was always the wrong one. Um, and for, then for the other half, you know, when at the time when I was... The other half of my marriage, when I was medicated, I was over-medicated, and I was horribly mishandled by a group of doctors, which we will get into at some point, um, in which I was always, uh, always the, the patient that had to meet the therapeutic levels, and I constantly, uh, you know, found myself battling more symptoms than uh, that were brought upon by the medication than when I was actually not medicated, if that makes any sense. So what it comes down to is I really was never on the right medications. I was mishandled and misguided and mistreated by a, a horrible, horrible uh, health system here in the state that I live in when it comes to mental illness and mental health. Um, again, we'll get into that at another time. Um, but, uh, you know, I take full responsibility, or at least half responsibility, let's put it that way, because my ex-wife was no walk in the park, and I'm certainly not giving her a free pass in this area here because she has certainly got her own issues as well. The good thing is, and this is very important for those of you who may be going through a divorce right now or separation, a split from your marriage and you have children it's taken me a very long time to realize the importance of getting along with your ex-wife for the sake of your children I cannot begin to stress enough how important it is to maintain some kind of a decent relationship with your ex-wife or husband no matter what it takes you have to do it for the children and uh, I wish I could say that she has has the same thoughts as me. I, I will say she's grown up a little bit. She's definitely improved. It's not. It's not as bad as it once was. Um, so uh, you know that's a good thing. Uh, and and my kids are doing much better right now because we're getting along. So I, I hope and pray that that relationship continues. And you know I've never ever. And we've been divorced now for a couple of years. I think three to be exact been paying child support for probably about six years now because we've been separated a lot longer than we would divorce and I was never even a second and I'm not even told a second not a minute not an hour not a day not a month not a year not a second late on a single child support payment and uh listen I am going to do my very best to re refrain from judging different character types out there in the world but I'm going to say this if you are a divorced man or a divorced woman for that matter because now in 2017-18 you know things are a lot different sometimes we have women who make more money than men and you know they're the breadwinners in the house so it's not always the you know and forgive me for leaving this part out it's not always the man who is the or I'm sorry the mom who gets full custody of the children. 
Uh, I happen to have joint custody of my children. Uh, and they spend equal amounts of time with my ex-wife and myself. So this is this applies to whoever is paying child support, not just the man. Okay, but a lot of times it is the man who is paying. But again, in the modern society now, we have women who pay child support and men who pay child support. Here, here's my statement. I'm going to wrap it up and say it very quickly. If you are paying child support, make sure you're paying it. Make sure you're on time. Don't be a deadbeat, okay? Please don't. All right? I don't care, you know, where, where your ex-wife or husband is spending the money. You know, that's not for us to prove. I'm not exactly thrilled about what my ex-wife might spend my check on. Uh, I don't believe that it all goes to my children. But what, you know what? It's none of my business. There's nothing I can do. You know, as long as I follow the rules and follow the law and pay that child support is very important. So I continue to do that. Um, nevertheless, as for my wife that I am married to now, she is younger than me. Um, she's actually in the same field as me. Uh, which makes a wonderful match because we happen to love the same things. Uh, but I met her, uh, actually, and believe it or not, at my place of employment, which a lot of marriages and relationships happen. And uh, after my ex-wife and I had made it uh, a complete split, my current wife, her and I, uh, you know, when I was kind of searching, not, not, not that I was really searching because I wasn't, but we kind of just found each other. And, and her uh, situation in life, she was going through a divorce, I was going through a divorce, and we found each other. And we haven't looked back that since. Uh, we love each other very much. And I have to tell you, in terms of our marriage, and I remember saying this on my very first podcast, that if you're looking for advice on how to maintain a, a proper relationship, you're not going to hear a whole lot of hoopla when it comes to me because I don't have a whole lot of problems when it comes to my marriage. With that being said, I'm going to say this right now. The only problem that has ever reared its ugly head or presented itself when it comes to my current marriage would happen to be me because I was unmedicated and I was the animal. I was the one that would act like an absolute raving lunatic when I came and became manic and became irritable and angry and for no real good reason, um, you know. So, uh, you know, any problems that surfaced throughout my current marriage, I have to take full responsibility for uh, because it really, it's, it's, it was my behavior. And, you know, we don't see our behavior when we're bipolar, and that's the scary thing, because I can't tell you how many times I used to think I was right and, and say to myself, oh, you know, uh, I'm right, you're wrong, and there's no other way. I don't even want to talk about it. There's no, there's no conversation that's going to take place, because I'm the right one. So, uh, you know, hopefully now that I'm, uh, I've started medication, the, uh, my mood swings will be uh, not as severe as they once were. And for those of you who are unaware of what Lamictal is or Lamotrigine, for, that's the generic uh, version of Lamictal, uh, this is a medication that you have to start extremely slow, extremely slow. And one of the main reasons why is because there is a skin rash that can develop, um, one of which, uh, believe it or not, my first go-around with medications because the psychiatrist that I had ramped me up so fast on this medication, I actually developed a skin rash and I had to stop it immediately. Um, once I 
uh, monitored my own medication intake many, many years ago. Um, and, and listen, I'm going to tell everybody right now, you're going to hear me a lot of times talk about managing my own medication. And I do not recommend that for anybody out there. That is not okay. The one reason why I do manage my own medication intake, or at least I did in the past, is because I am in the field and I happen to know a heck of a lot about it. Believe me when I tell you I have a lot more qualifications other than just, let's say, a special ed certification or a master's degree in special education. I am capable, fully capable, of understanding, writing, and uh, recommending uh, medication, uh, specifically those that are in the mental health category, so to speak. Um, However, when you're doing illicit drugs such as cocaine, drinking every single day, smoking marijuana, come on, I mean, that is not the right way to manage your medications and think that you're doing a very good job at it. So when I did do that and I managed my own medications, I, I, I did not succeed very well in doing so. But one of the things that I was able to figure out was that my psychiatrist ramped me up way too fast with Lamictal. And once I figured out how to ramp myself up on my own, so to speak, which was very, very slowly, and specifically 25 milligrams every two weeks is actually what I did in the past. And once I kind of started over and did that in the past with the Lamictal, it was a very, very useful and helpful drug. Um, So um, with that said, I will be not necessarily managing my own medication. Um, I will be doing it with the help of a psychiatric nurse. Um, and I believe that I've earned that right, uh, because I have many, many years of sobriety under my belt. I am in the field. Uh, I have been clean and sober from cocaine and alcohol since February 24th of 2007. So... And we're going on a long, you know, that's, you guys do the math, I can't, I'm horrible at math. I am free and clear of opiates since March 27th, 2009. So, I, oh, you know what, I think I messed up, guys. Yep, 2009, uh, yeah, I am right. So 2007 is my cocaine and alcohol clean date. And my clean date from opiates, 2009, March 27th. And I also have a clean date from marijuana, believe it or not, which was August 13th, 2011. Unfortunately, that clean date never remained in effect, and I slipped up several, several times because Mr. Bipolar Joe thought that he could manage his own bipolar through smoking marijuana and eating marijuana and baking cookies and guys it doesn't work it doesn't work and I can't tell you how many fights I had with my wife Um, and just so you know when I refer to my wife from here on in anytime I refer to my wife she will be my wife if I'm talking about my ex-wife I'll I'll say ex-wife so anytime I talk about my wife it's going to be my wife but my wife wife my wife told me so many times, you can't manage bipolar disorder with marijuana. 
come on, yes, you can. It's It works for me. I don't need those medicines. And I will tell you, I was absolutely wrong, especially now that I am on Lamictal and I feel the way that I feel. I know now that um, ridiculous thought process to have. So if you are trying to manage your bipolar disorder with marijuana, please stop doing so. Get in, your, get in your car and go see your psychiatrist and talk to him or her about what you're doing because it's just not going to work. Okay, so we have me, 42. We have my wife, who is in the same field as me and is also about 10, 10 years, give or take, a little bit less, but about 10 years younger than me. Um, not, not 10, she's going to get angry with me if she listens to this podcast. She's not 10 years younger than me. She's about 9 years younger than me. Sorry about that. Maybe even less. It's between 8 and 10, let's put it that way. She always gets mad at me when I, I, I say 10 years younger than me because it's really, she was born in May, I was born in August, she was born in 84, I was born in 75, so you, again, figure out the math. I'm older than her. Older and and not so much wiser, let's put it that way. I have three children. My wife and I share one child, and he is actually eight months old, my little guy, and probably as wonderful and beautiful and adorable as my little munchkin man is, probably one of the big reasons as to why um, I slipped back into uh, this dreaded bipolar mixed episode of, of symptoms that I've been experiencing probably since August of 2017. He was born back in April. Uh, I'd say around August or so is when I really started losing my mind uh, when it came to my, my youngest son, and mainly because he was colic, uh, milk allergy. And when I tell you colic, everybody, if you have never experienced colic before with a baby, please understand that it is not an exaggeration when I tell you that my wife and I used to have to literally tag team in and out as we dealt with a crying baby anywhere between 10 and 12 hours a day. And that's not a joke, I swear to you. Uh, my, my little guy, who we're going to call Mickey, uh, Mickey was... Um, we had a great two weeks after he was first born, and after that it was all downhill from there, from milk allergies... Uh, to colicky behavior, to acid reflux, gastrointestinal disorders, anything that you can imagine, you name it, he had it, and unfortunately still suffers from. He's on uh, medication right now, and uh, I have to say he's doing very well. We did try to get him off the medication at approximately six months old, and we went back backwards. We had at six days of absolute hell, um, and we quick, quickly put him back on his Prevacid, which is what he's on now, because it was just such a nightmare, I have to tell you. Um, and, and he remains on that medication, and again, he is eight months old. My little man is already walking. Well, he's not fully walking. He's cruising, which is standing and, and kind of walking against the furniture. Uh, he's fully crawling, fully standing, up and down on his own. It's just amazing. You know, I, wo I walked at seven and a half months old, so... Um, he's kind of following in my footsteps, and, you know, he's all over the place. Um, and I have to say, it's much easier now to handle him um, being on medication. Uh, you know, anybody, anytime you have a major, for me at least, when it comes to my bipolar disorder, which I will tell you, I have now diagnosed 
and I do not have an official diagnosis from my new psychiatric nurse. Uh, my previous two diagnoses, my first one was bipolar 2, which is absolutely 100% wrong. I was diagnosed with that back in 2007, completely inaccurate, um, and we'll get into that another time. I was later on, probably uh, back in 2010, I was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, which is definitely more along the lines of what I am uh, you know, living with right now. But if I was to choose a, a type of bipolar in which I, I deal with, I, I have to tell you that I, I am a rapid cycling bipolar person. My symptoms generally work like this. I will become extremely um, manic in the sense where uh, my energy is just, you know, I, probably three hours of sleep I need. Um, and I, it's, it's amazing because I don't have a problem falling asleep. Uh, fall asleep, about three hours, boom, wide awake, eyes up, um, and I feel like I'm ready to go for the day, and, you know, there were, there were times that I would just fight it and lay in bed, and, you know, my eyes would be wide open, staring at the ceiling, and, uh, you know, I decided to not really deal with that, you know, staring at the ceiling is not a whole lot of fun, so I find myself getting up and taking apart and putting together computers. That's one of the things that I happen to like to do, especially in my manic stage. I'll never forget the age of 19 years old. My father had given me a credit card for the first time because, which is probably not a good idea to do when your son is bipolar, which, you know, unfortunately we did not know that I had bipolar disorder back then. Um, but he had given me a uh, credit card to purchase my first PC because I was completely embarrassed in my first computer class when everybody went around the room and they were, all, they were told to write down their email addresses. And I did not have an email address. And I went home and I said, Dad, not only do uh, I not know a whole lot about computers and I have to take this class, but they want me to write an email address down. I don't even know what an email address is. So that was at 19. Gave me a credit card. I went out. I bought a computer. And let's just put it this way. My dad was not thrilled when he walked into my bedroom after the first night of me purchasing the computer. He just wanted to check in with me and say, son, you know, how's your computer? He opened up the door, and what he found was me on the floor with all the computer parts scattered all around my room, my computer completely taken apart, and there I was with a library book that I had gone to the library. Yes, back in... Back in my day, everybody, and, you know, <laughs> there was no Internet, no Google, and none of that stuff, so I had to actually go to a library to take out a book and read up on things, uh, which I did go ahead and do, and I got a book on how to take apart and put together personal computers. So my dad was extremely upset with me because one of the things I used to do was take apart and put together computers. Uh, he probably would not have cared so much if he didn't just give me a credit card and I dropped $1,800 at the time. Um, to buy a computer, and I took it apart that very evening. Um, so, well, that's one of the things that I like to do. I don't even know. And see, this is where my bipolar disorder is, is extremely disturbing to me because I don't even remember how I got on to this computer topic, to be honest with you. I really don't. Um, so rather than hit the pause button and try to recollect and think of where I, why I got on this topic, I'm just going to continue giving you a little background, background information about my family. Uh, we talked about my eight-month-old, Mickey. Um, I have two children from my previous marriage. Uh, 
I have a daughter who's 14 years old, and we're going to call her Sarah Lee, and there's a reason for that, but uh, we're not going to get into that right now. She's 14 years old, Sarah Lee, um, and I just met her boyfriend the other day. She has an 11th grade boyfriend. She's in ninth grade. Met a boyfriend the other day, and I guess it's just time to face the facts and the reality of the situation, everybody, that my little girl is growing up, and that's it, you know, she's, she's, a, she's, a, she's going to be a woman, she is, she's a teenager, so I have to deal with it, um, but he was really nice, and I was, you know, pleasantly surprised when I met him, um, seems like a real nice guy, um, my daughter, 14 years old, she is actually suffering right now from severe severe panic attacks and it has me extremely concerned because you know she's following very very similar footsteps that I followed um, you know unfortunately now I did not suffer from anxiety and panic disorders until I was in my college years um, and I actually have a story about that I'm going to give you that story in anxiety 101 we're not going to get into that right now but you know unfortunately my daughter is experiencing that so I made sure that right away and this is important for everybody out there also. If you think that your children are suffering from something mental health related, whether it be anxiety, um, panic attacks, you know, whatever it is, everybody, please don't push it aside and just say, you know, that, that it's nothing. Um, it's an illness. It's a, it's, a, it's a scary thing because, you know, if your child was complaining of, let's say, an earache, um, you know, you would get in the car or you would call the doctor, then get in the car, and take them to your primary care physician. And you would address the ear infection. So if your child is complaining of panic attacks or anxiety symptoms, you need to call the appropriate doctor or the appropriate person to help, whether that be a licensed social worker you know, it all depends who you want to go with. I'm okay with a licensed social worker. Some of them are very good when it comes to anxiety. And, and I'm, I'm just talking about speaking. I'm not talking about medication management. You know, whether you want to go to a psychologist, whatever it is, you want to go to your primary medical, your, your family primary medical physician to get a referral, by all means, go ahead and do so. I'm okay with that, but don't ignore it. Um, and I got to tell you, just two weeks into therapy, and it's made a tremendous difference with my daughter. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Um, so we have my eight-month-old Mickey. We have my 14-year-old Sarah Lee. And then I do have a 12-year-old son. And uh, we're going to call him Junior, if that's okay with everybody. We'll call him Junior. And Junior, um, he actually, just to give you a little bit of information about Junior, Junior actually does... Uh, live with two autoimmune diseases, um, one of them being Crohn's disease and the other one being ulcerative colitis. And it's not very typical that one suffer from both of those autoimmune diseases. One affects the small intestine, one affects the large intestine. And usually when you have one, you don't have the other. And the unfortunate thing about my son is he has both. Um, but I will say that, you know, medication is a wonderful thing when it comes to his diseases and they are working very well um he has been not been symptomatic for um i think about two or three years now he's been pretty good um so we're, we're about that time scheduled where we have to get him an mri he did not do good for the last one 
You know, I know MRIs, you know, sound rather simple for those of you out there, but when it comes to um, the MRI that he has to go through, it's not a matter of just sitting in an MRI tube and getting a, an image done of his colon and of his digestive system. Unfortunately, before he goes into that MRI machine, and every 20 minutes he has to um, do some kind of a drink that puts dye in him. He's got to clear his whole system out. And, you know, for anybody who's had colonoscopies before, um, it's basically like a colonoscopy prep uh, times a thousand. It's not easy for him. He, he was unsuccessful the first time around, and we had to settle for a colonoscopy, believe it or not. And you, you would think that an MRI would be less invasive than a colonoscopy, but when it comes to the MRI test and the, the prep for the MRI, the prep is a little bit more um, intrusive than the prep for a colonoscopy, in which you can do at your own home, take your time, um, you know, sit with your mom and dad. You don't have to be in an office, a doctor, a location to do this. You, you know, up until the time you go in for the colonoscopy, obviously, that's when you are under the care of a physician when they put you out. Um, it breaks my heart, too. i got to tell you, my son has had more colonoscopies um, than, you know, probably uh, the, the entire podcast, you know, well, well, I could say that now because I don't have a whole lot of listeners. Uh, the, the entire podcast community combined. Um, when I reach the status, hopefully, of Bipolar Bob, that won't be the case. Um, but, you know, he's had a lot of colonoscopies. And i got to tell you, as a parent, there is nothing worse than seeing your child be put out on anesthesia. It's just a, such a scary, scary situation. It really is horrifying. Um, so that's what he is, um, you know, that's what he deals with and what I deal with as a parent. And, um, you know, it's not easy. You know, we all have our own issues to deal with. So nobody has it easy. I got to tell you that. So, um, you know, I think of bipolar Bob and, uh, you know, the, the, what he lives with in terms of his children, three of them being with bipolar disorder and two of them, uh, being on the autism spectrum. You know, guys, I told you, for 13 years I went into households and um, for approximately 45 to 60 hours a week for a period of 30, 13 years, that's what I did. I went into homes um, like Bipolar Bob's, really, and I would teach children with autism and I would use uh, what I am, one of the certifications that I happen to hold is Applied Behavior Analysis, and I um, have been using Applied Behavior Analysis as... Uh, which is a discrete trial teaching method. I've been using that since approximately 1998. Um, but for those 13 years that I was an independent contractor, you know, I would walk into homes and I would, you know, like I said, between 40 hours and 60 hours a week, I would provide applied behavior analysis or ABA therapy along with parent training to different families and children all over my um, state, so to speak. Let's put it this way. My neighborhood, <laughs> there's my catchphrase, uh, all over Mr. Joe's neighborhood, I would provide this ABA therapy. And I got to tell you, you know, there's nothing in the world like walking into a home such as Bipolar Bob's and seeing what families live with when it comes to autism. Because, again, I've been doing this for 26 years, but I go home at the end of the day, guys, okay? I have no idea what it's like to live with a child with autism. No clue. 
So it does not matter how long you've been doing this for a living. There is no comparison to being just a professional in the field and one that can help as compared to somebody that lives with it. And, you know, you go to bed, your child has still got autism. You wake up, your child's still got autism. And you're still faced with it every single day. Yes, people come in your home, they might help. You're lucky enough to get somebody who, like me who's dedicated and actually knows what they're doing then, you know, great, you know, you stick with your therapist for a very long time. You know, some people like to change because they're worried about generalization. Um, I happen to be a very big fan of sticking with what works. And, you know, if you want to work on generalization, you add more people to the party, so to speak, rather than remove the person that works. But we can get into that at another time. Um, what I know is I love changing lives because the lives that I change, you know, some of them are just to, to walk into these homes and see what some of these families deal with when it comes to autism. It's just absolutely unbelievable um, and very, very, very sad, very sad. So I, 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 I'm very happy that I'm able to help people. Um, so... Uh, you know, I'm running a little bit longer than I wanted to on this podcast. I hope everybody's all right if I stick with this just a little bit longer um, because, you know, we really have not talked about bipolar at all. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, like I said, my current doctor that I'm seeing is not a psychiatrist. It's a psychiatric nurse, and I'm not actually very happy about it, I have to tell you. The only reason why I'm seeing the psychiatric nurse is because I've been searching for a doctor for four months, and nobody will take me. Um, in my state, you know, it's very hard to find a, uh, a psychiatrist. Um, the most I got out of four months, very awkward, actually. I, I made a phone call, um, and it was not even a doctor's office. I, it was almost like the psychiatrist answered his own cell phone. Um, and the most progress I made in four months was actually getting a psychiatrist on the phone on their own cell phone. And it actually sounded like when he answered the phone, he was like stumbling and um, like kind of juggling his phone around. And then finally, you know, he's hello. And I said, hey, hello. Um, no, no, uh, this is Dr. So-and-so. It was just kind of like a regular phone call. And I said, I said, hello, is this Dr. So-and-so? And he said, yes, it is. And uh, I asked him if he was accepting new patients, and he had told me that in a month from now he would be able to fit me in. That was the most I got other than that. I got one other phone call back in which they told me they no longer were accepting my insurance, but they would be willing to take me on as a, as a new patient if I was willing to pay cash at their rate of $180 per hour. Um, so unfortunately that is not going to fit into my budget. Um, and the one person that was able to see me was a psychiatric nurse. So uh, I met with her, um, and, you know, we started up my current uh, medication again, which will be Lamictal. Right now I am only on a mood stabilizer, and there is a reason for that. As I am on this mood stabilizer, I am actually in the process of weaning myself off Suboxone for the second time in my life. Um, and the reason I am not uh, on anything else is because I have to wean myself off of this drug before I go on anything else. The only, you know, this is my second time coming off Suboxone. The first time around, I was in withdrawals for 188 full days, 
It was one of the worst experiences of my life, and I'm actually going to be making, for those of you who are interested, there will be a Suboxone 101 episode, so I'm not going to get too much into this right now. I want to save that for another episode, but I promise you we will examine it. Um, the only thing that helped me while I was coming off Suboxone was Wellbutrin. Um, so I am going to wait until the depression undoubtedly kicks in for this Suboxone withdrawal um, the second time around until I start my Wellbutrin. That is the game plan. Um, right now, uh, I'm going extremely slow with my taper for Suboxone. That was one of the mistakes I made the first time around. My wonderful psychiatrist the first time around, I had weaned myself all the way down to one milligram of Suboxone. And um, I, I'm not going to, you know, I only want to address the Suboxone listeners right now. I don't really need to get into detail about exactly what dosages mean and how strong they are. I don't want to bore people. Those of you who understand Suboxone and understand the opiates, you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm referring to. But I had weaned myself all the way down to one milligram, and I felt pretty good. And my wonderful psychiatrist told me to just jump off at one milligram and said I would have no symptoms, no withdrawals, no problems. Uh, <laughs> and 188 days later, I wanted to run into his office and literally choke him because, you know, that's how long it took for the withdrawals to go away. And I am not going to get into the withdrawals now. I'll talk about that in my Suboxone 101 uh, podcast. So this time around, I decided I'm going to do this extremely slow, and that's what I'm doing now. Um, and I am actually on, I worked myself down from 2 milligrams to 1 milligram. That was not easy. <clears throat> I only experienced about 7 days of, pretty intense withdrawals from that, um, and I am now down to 0.875 Suboxone daily. Um, so I've cut my dosage down from one milligram to 0.875. Um, now, it's important for everybody to understand one of the reasons why I went back on Suboxone is about two years ago, I started to get horrible, horrible cravings for drugs again. And, you know, I had a lot of clean time under my belt, everybody. Um, and, you know, Suboxone is only supposed to help with opiate withdrawal and cravings, but I am one of these weird people uh, when it comes to medication that it actually was able to uh, stop me from not only using opiates, uh, it also deterred me from cocaine, deterred me from alcohol. Um, so <laughs> I got to tell you, you know, it worked wonders for me. It's what we call medication treatment. Um, addiction, medica addiction, medication, treatment, so to speak. Um, for me, all my all my horrible demons, whether it be cocaine, alcohol, or opiates, it helped with all of them. So, about two years ago, when I started too, which was undoubtedly the result of me falling into a manic phase, because that's one of the things from as being bipolar that we will often do is when we are manicky, you know, for me at least, you know, a lot of people think when you're depressed, you'll reach for drugs and alcohol. For me, it was always when I was manic. I would feel very good when I was manic, um, in the beginning at least, before I became irritable. And because I would feel good, I would want to feel even better. And I knew that alcohol and cocaine and opiates made me feel better and made me feel happier. 
So, without worrying about consequences, I would start doing drugs again, and um, obviously, you know, that doesn't work very well, because in the end, it's, it's, it, it leaves you nothing but depressed and miserable afterwards. So, um, you know, one of the things a couple of years ago that obviously was happening was, because I was unmedicated and not treating my bipolar disorder, my mania was telling me, go get drugs, go get cocaine, go get opiates rummage through the cabinets of your mother-in-law and whatever pain pill she has in there don't worry about it doesn't matter she just had a hernia operation and she actually needs them nobody's gonna know you're just gonna take her pain pills throw a couple in your pocket no one will even realize i mean come on let's be realistic now um so the day that i decided that i was going to do that and i actually did i stole from my mother-in-law and i put them in my pocket and i took them home i never used them uh, what I ended up doing instead was I had a stash of Suboxone left over. Instead of using, uh, again, I started using Suboxone. Um, so I, in order to fight the addiction and the cravings, I went to medication, an alternate medication to fight that craving, which was, of course, Suboxone. Um, I went and, you know, and, and, and then what happened was, unfortunately, that, that, that leftover prescription that I had kind of ran out. So I had to find another Suboxone doctor, and they are all crooks, every single one of them. And it's, a, it's an all-cash industry. They don't even take insurance. Again, I don't even want to go through right now what I went through. We'll save this for Suboxone 101. Uh, but I did find somebody. He put me back on the Suboxone through a prescription, and now I am no longer seeing that doctor, and I probably have about five years' worth of Suboxone in my cabinet. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do with it when I finally come off of it, which is why, thank goodness, I have our, our podcast um, that we can hopefully all listen to together, so to speak, and, and, and join each other and supporting each other. And, you know, maybe I'll get some feedback on what to do when I finally come off. Do I throw them down the toilet? You know, I don't know. I've been there, done that, so I'm not exactly sure how to work this or go with this right now. But what I can tell you is I'm no longer paying a doctor $150 a month for me to walk in, him to shake my hand, ask me how I feel, write me out a prescription, leave, and then tell me to urinate in a cup. And I walk into his bathroom and there's about 15 other cups there of urine where, you know, he's not even testing me for drugs and, you know, there's no relationship there. I just said, you know what, it's time for me to manage my own Suboxone as I... um come off this medication for a second time. Uh, the good thing is my psychiatric nurse is working with me to manage it. She does not know a whole lot about it, but, you know, unfortunately, neither do the suboxone doctors. That's a sad thing. So what I do know is I've been through this before, so it has to be a very slow taper. Combine that with the fact now that I have just started my bipolar medication again, Lamictal, and I will be adjusting to that. I have to continue to taper off very, very slow. It's very, very important that I do so. Um, so uh, that's what I am in the midst of doing right now. I am now on Lamictal to try to um, control my symptoms. And I am coming off Suboxone. And, uh, you know, uh, trying my best to deal with my bipolar disorder. And, again... So you understand my rapid cycling. This is where I forgot. I was probably talking about this before, and I never finished. My bipolar, again, is uh, I start very, very happy. 
uh, extremely elated, and this is where I, I probably lost track before. It's starting to come back to me now. Uh, my bipolar is what I consider to be rapid cycling. I start off extremely happy, uh, extremely creative, uh, and I have this tremendous urge to write and rap, and uh, I have this gift, uh, I guess you could call it, that I have this ability to write and rhyme, and you know, I motivate accelerate, I devastate, I dominate, I don't smoke crack, so I won't lose weight. <laughs> you know, so I could do that. I could just, you know, right off the tip of my tongue, and when I when I am in mania mode, it happens even uh, more. Um, but unfortunately for me, that's very short-lived. That only lasts like a day or two, and then what happens is I will immediately go into what I refer to as mania irritability mode, and I become extremely confrontational, argumentative, paranoid, paranoia. Oh, God. That's one of the worst things that I deal with when I become in that irritable, manic state. Um, but it's usually just confrontation and, you know, uh, distrusting my wife for some ridiculous reason and, um, you know, just highly irritable and... Um, you know, this extreme pressure to speak, what also will happen is uh, my my senses will become extremely um, acute in the, in, the, in the sense where um, I could see and hear things that are just amazing. You know, I could look at a tile floor and I could literally count the number of tiles in the floor, even if they're small tiles, because they all kind of stand out when I'm looking at them. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I do have some what I call background noise that starts to happen as well that, it, that, that includes some chatter, um, uh, voices uh, become, become extremely obnoxious in my brain. Um, I, I refer to it almost as, and I believe Bipolar Bob described this one of the best ways that I've ever heard anyone describe it, a narrator in my brain who will tell me uh, not so much what to do, thank goodness. I've never been really told what to do, but I've told, been more told about people, you know, and, and, and myself. And, you know, what I mean by that is not necessarily, uh, for instance, my voice will not tell me to go smack somebody upside the head because of their behavior, but it will tell me that my wife is acting in a certain way and that uh, it's unacceptable. And how dare she? You know, she's probably texting another man. Um, you know, and that, that's what my, the, my voice will tell me. It won't tell me to go smack my wife upside the head because she is texting another man, but it will give me ideas and thoughts, um, which, of course, none of which are true at all. Um, and it will tell me also that I may um, be acting a certain way. Um, for instance, when I left my first, my first visit with my psychiatric nurse, which is one of the reasons why I know once I really stabilize coming off the Suboxone, antipsychotics are probably going to be a must in my life uh, because I just cannot, you know, these voices are, are just uncontrollable in the sense where, you know, after I left my psychiatric nurse from the first visit, I remember I was making a left into the CVS parking lot, which is where I get my medication from. And as I was making the left, I specifically remember the narrator in my head telling me, what are you going to there for? 
you know, she, she wrote you out a script, but don't listen to her. Nothing to listen to her about. You don't need medication. Um, and, you know, I distracted myself and, you know, I've accepted the fact that those voices are there now and I can kind of uh, work with them, so to speak, and uh, they don't own me. It's one of the practicing uh, things that I, the, one of the practices I now put into play here, that those voices do not own me. Um, so I'm going to go get my medication and you're not going to tell me what to do. Um, so they're still there. And I, I certainly have to, uh, you know, once I stabilize and get on uh, this, you know, get up to the right amount of lamictal, um, you know, I'll, I'll explore an antipsychotic. And, and one of the main reasons why I need everybody to understand before I continue into my rapid cycling description, one of the main reasons as to why um, I take things very, very slow with medication is I am probably one of the most sensitive people in the world to medication. They affect me very, very differently than other people, and I am going to talk about that in Medication 101 when I get to that podcast. But I'm going to tell you right now, my medication dosages are going to be very, very different from the typical person with bipolar disorder. Um, you know, And this happens to ring true with any medication that I'm on. Unfortunately, if I am on an antibiotic to fix, let's say, bronchitis, um, the antibiotic that I'm on, whereas normally it will not affect another person, not only does it affect my moods, does it affect my mood swings, my overall demeanor, it affects my entire physical um, system in terms of, you know, um, stomachs and, and, and sweating and nausea. And, you know, unfortunately, every side effect that might be listed with a label on, on a medication, I usually do get an experience. And... Um, you know, that's the unfortunate thing. So I have to take it very slow and very easy. And that's, that is one of the things I am very happy that my psychiatric nurse is going to be doing things very slow and very low. And what I mean by that is low dosages, very slowly working my way up and not continuing to medicate me if I feel good. Because that's the biggest mistake I made many, many years ago was I never learned how to, how to properly manage just regular moods. You know, guys, you know, if you have bipolar disorder and you're on medication, there are going to be some symptoms that leak through, but there are also going to be just regular everyday things that we go through. You know, we're still allowed to get sad and we're still allowed to get, you know, upset about things. These are regular human emotions. And one of the problems, because I was never really talking to anybody about these things and seeking the right therapeutic, um, you know, help that I needed when it came to talking. One of the problems is, is I would run right to my psychiatrist every time I felt just a little bit of something. And I would say, oh, you know, yesterday I was sad. And I was crying. Well, you know, you must need another 60 milligrams of Cymbalta. So let's start that tomorrow. And then, I, you know, I would take the Cymbalta and I would find that now I'm at 120 milligrams of Cymbalta and I haven't slept for eight days. And I'm running around cleaning things at 3 a.m. I go into my doctor and I say, listen, doc, you know, I've been up for eight days. I haven't slept. What do I do? Well, now we will put you on another 500 milligrams of Depakote so we can even it out. And, and I understand that sometimes that's the way you need to do things. However, 
This time around, I'm not doing that because it made me into a zombie last time. Uh, I was over-medicated, and I was not properly managed. So I'm going to do things very slowly this time around. And as long as I feel well, I'm going to stay on my current medications, and I'm going to try to work through problems like a regular, normal human and not just medicate, medicate, medicate every time I feel something. Now, in order to do that, you have to understand that medication is only part of the solution. You have to meet with somebody and talk to somebody. Um, and thankfully, I have my my podcast listening world to do that with. But, you know, unfortunately, that's usually not enough for people. But I have to say, I've been through many, many years of therapy, and I'm, I'm tired of it. I really am. That's not to say that I won't continue it, but I, I feel like this is going to be a wonderful addition in my life. Now, um, we talked a little bit about that irritability state. I will tell you that that will oftentimes last me anywhere from seven to ten days which is a very very long time to feel that way now around day seven what will happen unfortunately and this is why i have decided that i am mixed and what you call that mixed episode or that that rapid cycling bipolar is around day seven while i am still in mania the depression will start to kick in and my depression happens to be extensive, extensive crying and sadness and hopelessness. Interestingly enough, I do not feel the need to sleep and sleep and sleep like most people with depression will often feel. I am able to get out of bed in the morning. I attribute that to the kickstart that I get from my Suboxone at 5 a.m. every morning. If I didn't have my Suboxone, I'd probably be one of those people that would be laying in bed also. But I'm not. Instead, what happens is I become extremely depressed, but at the same time, I'm extremely irritable with a tremendous amount of energy still, um, but, I, but I can't stop crying. And that will go on for you know probably about three or four days, no longer than that. And the unfortunate thing with that, everybody, is that, you know, sometimes, and I'll give you an example, my very last episode, um, you know, right around day 10, when I was really peaking in terms of my mania and depression being in a mix, you know, I had all this energy, and I'm crying, and I'm constantly telling my wife that I'm sorry, and I'm sorry for my behavior, because part of the crying also is the tremendous amount of guilt that comes with how you just behaved and the people that you hurt around you also. You know, so those of you who have that experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The absolute trash that you treat people you love like. Um, you know, that becomes part of my guilt also, so I'll start to cry about that, how I feel. But, you know, ironically, you know, it doesn't matter how bad I feel because the moment somebody challenges me and will dare overstep quote-unquote, overstep their boundaries and, you know, tell me uh, something that I don't want to know or something that I'm not willing to listen to, I'll become extremely irrational again and I'll start yelling and angry and, and you know, uh, I'll even start thinking about drugs and, you know, wanting to do them and reach for the alcohol, um, you know, um, <clears throat> but, you know, at the same time I'm crying. So now this last episode, the unfortunate thing is that um, I did reach for a pair of cuticle scissors 
and I started to cut my arms, um, you know, and I, and I cut them pretty bad, and, um, you know, I, I, I was on my hands and knees at the time, looking up at the ceiling and asking God why, why, oh, why I, I can't feel anything but these horrible moods, and I said, I need to feel something different, God, so I start stabbing myself with a pair of cuticle scissors, and, you know, that's not okay, it's not okay, and uh, there are two reasons why I went and I got medicated. First reason is Bipolar Bob and the Bipolar Bob, uh, Family Podcast. That's number one reason. This is a man that has saved my life. Reason number two is because that behavior is unacceptable. I, I, was, I, I was well for many, many years. I was on a wonderful dose, you know, um, I talk about being over-medicated, but I will tell everybody that I did find st some stability. I found some stability right before I met my wife now, whereas Lamictal and Wellbutrin were doing wonders for me, absolute wonders. And the unfortunate thing is that I met a, a, a talk therapist who had told me that I would be able to live with bipolar disorder for the rest of my life living with this disorder without taking medication she put that in my head she said to me you know you've made a lot of progress I think you are ready to live on this planet without medication as long as you learn to manage your stress and we have done enough work through anger management through meditation through DDP yoga, through all these things that I've referred you to and told you to take, take into practice, all your group therapy, all your wonderful tools that you've used, Mr. Joe, I believe you are now ready to live on this earth without medication. So, listen, anybody with bipolar disorder who, um, you know, hears that, you know, I mean, I don't know. I took it and I ran with it. And it's a damn shame. It really is because... Uh, you know, that woman, I feel, was uh, the ultimate destruction. She she really was. And I hate to blame other people because really, it, it, it really is ultimately myself. I mean, you know, I'm the, I'm the moron who listened to her, you know. But, um, you know, I'm the dummy who took that as, as a serious, you know. As, you know, listen, you trust somebody, you're with somebody for a long time, you, 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 you start to believe in them. So somebody told me that I would be all right without medication, and that's what I did. I went on and I tried to live without medication. I got to tell you, there was actually quite some time that I was all right. You know, like the voices were kind of subsided to some extent. Um, you know, what she told me was that stress was a huge trigger, and without a doubt, which is why I, I attribute the birth of my son and the medical condition that he went through over the last eight months to, you know, some of the stress that I'm dealing with and probably some of the real reasons as to why my episodes became worse and worse and worse and I was no longer able to manage them with the tools that were taught to me because when you got bipolar disorder and you have a chemical imbalance in your brain, at some point, these symptoms are going to manifest and you're going to see them again, no matter what. Um, so I've had some, you know, and there, listen, because there are moments of stability, you know, uh, why not? I mean, I was divorced from my ex-wife. I met a new beautiful woman. I was seeing my children every weekend. 
you know, I, I didn't have the stress and the anxiety of, of, of raising my children on a weekly basis, meaning that during Monday through Friday, I didn't have to worry about them with school. And of course, I worried about them, but I wasn't the primary caregiver. And here I am now living in a studio apartment, which I'm no longer living in anymore. We bought a, a home, me and my wife, but it was just her and I. You know, the kids would come on the weekend. It was like starting new. It was like living, you know, brand new. I mean, no stress, no pressure. I, all I had to do was work, make money, pay child support, and make love to my wife. And that was it, and everybody was happy. <clears throat> so there were no real challenges. And, you know, I was able to, you know, respectfully live symptom-free to some extent, or at least deal with the, you know, voices and, and, and the symptoms to some extent. Now, I want to let everybody understand something. <laughs> no way was I ever symptom-free. In my own brain, I thought I was symptom-free. The absolute hell that I put my wife through while I was unmedicated during the first years of our um, you know, relationship is just unexplainable. Disgusting what I put that woman through. Unfair, horrifying, just ridiculous. Um, and, and, and truthfully, she could not take it any longer, which is, you know, the real reason as to why I am now medicated. So, like, again, two reasons. We have bipolar Bob, and we have myself and my wife and my current family. That's why I am medicated right now, because I, I don't want to cause any more destruction. I don't. I want to live my life, and I want to enjoy my life. Um, you know, so... For me, that's what bipolar is. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to keep you posted with how I feel. We'll continue talking. I would like to talk about my very first diagnosis uh, at some point in my next podcast, which will really be uh, about my first hospital stay. But for now, I want to wish everybody a very, very happy and healthy new year. Um, I want to thank you for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. I hope you take a trip back to my neighborhood when I come out with my next one. This was Bipolar 101. Happy New Year, everybody, and we will speak again soon. Thank you.